Welcome to the But You're Wrong podcast. I'm Greg DiNicola. I'm Keith Budella. Make sure you check us out every Wednesday, every Saturday on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check out But You're Wrong Facebook page, facebook.com slash but you're wrong. Please give us a like on there and follow us on Twitter at BYW Podcast. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash BYW Podcast. If you uh, like Keith, make sure you check him out on the Amazon Kindle Marketplace. We now join the But You're Wrong podcast already in progress. Quick note before we dive into the episode and I have to run to work. This is our continuing conversation about Japanese soldiers who uh, stayed in the jungles of various uh, countries and islands uh, thinking that the war was still going on. Uh, They ended up surrendering or being found or, um, I guess, dying in uh, multiple cases too, uh, years, decades after the, uh, after the war. And uh, this is our conversation about them. If you haven't listened to the last episode, listen to that one, and then listen to this one. You might be a little lost. You can probably just soldier through it. Uh, that was a poor choice of words. I apologize for that. Um, you can probably get through it and, and still know what's going on, uh, even if you haven't listened to it. But I highly recommend that you do, because it's funny. And there's uh, stuff about donkey shows, too. Not not related to these guys, but just in, in general. Um, yeah. Now on with the show. Yeah. You know, so, did I mean, did they just get accepted back into japan like um okay well let's thank okay. you for your service let's read about this first guy this isn't the guy that we started with yoko yoko is a is a different guy um but let's read about him after a whirlwind media tour of japan he married and settled down um in a rural area of japan he became a popular television personality oh wow uh he was featured in a 1977 documentary called uh yokio and his 28 years of secret life in Guam. He eventually, I'm laughing at this next part, he eventually received the equivalent of 300 US dollars in back pay and a small pension. Wow. Um, although he never met Emperor Hirihito, Hirihito. Thank you, Hirihito. Um, while visiting the grounds of the Imperial Palace, he said, Your Majesties, I have returned home. I deeply regret that I could not serve you well. The world has certainly changed, but my determination to serve you will never change. Wow. Um, he died in 1997 of a heart attack at age 82. Lived a pretty full life. Um, so he was, the, he was the third one, the third to last. Now, there... Here's the thing that I don't... I guess they're, they're not counting this other guy. Ito? Uh, um, no, there, there's another guy. Private First Class Kozuka. He held out with Hiro for 28 years until he was killed in a shootout with Philippine police in October 1972. Oh, I guess wow. they're not counting him because he died. Um, then there's Hiro. Um, let's see. Let's go back to, let's go back to his story. Is he at? Let's go to his wiki, his uh, wiki page. Time in hiding. Uh, he continued his campaign as a Japanese holdout, initially living in the mountains with three fellow soldiers. Oh, here they. Okay. Yeah, none of these guys are the is uh, Edom. 
Or no, this no, we're on a different island now. That's right. Uh, during his stay, him and his companions gar- carried out guerrilla t- uh, activities, killed some thirty Filipino inhabitants of the island, and engaged in several shootouts with police. Holy shit! The first time they saw a leaflet announcing that Japan had surrendered was in October 1945. Another cell had killed a cow and found a leaflet left behind by islanders which read, the war ended on August 15th, come down from the mountains. However, they mistrusted the leaflet because another cell had been fired upon a few days previously. Uh, They concluded that the leaflet was allied propaganda and also believed that they would not have been fired on if the war had indeed been over. That makes sense. Yeah, I I guess I can see that. Uh, Toward the end of 1945, leaflets were dropped by air with a surrender order printed on them from General Yamashita of the 14th Area Army. They had been hiding for over a year, and this leaflet was the only evidence they had the war was over. Uh, Hero's group looked very closely at the leaflet to determine whether it was genuine and declared it was not. Uh, One of the four walked away from the others in September 1949 and surrendered to Filipino forces in 1950 after six months on his own. This seemed like a security problem to the others and they became even more careful. (laughs) Uh, in 1952, letters and family pictures were dropped from aircraft urging them to surrender, but the three soldiers concluded that it was a trick. Oh, definitely. I mean, at that much time, though, they must be... Like, their minds had to have been going. Well, that's part of it. I mean, they were clearly going insane if they already weren't. I mean, they, they must have been paranoid beyond belief. Factor fiction. Um, let's see, uh, one of them was shot in the leg during a shootout with local fishermen in June 1953, after which Hero nursed him back to health. Wow. Uh, on May 7th, 1954, uh, the same guy was killed by a shot fired by a search party looking for the men. Uh... Another guy was killed by two shots fired by local police on October 19, 1972. Um, when he and Hero, as part of their guerrilla tactics, were burning rice that had been collected by farmers. So, they're destroying the rice? That oh, yeah, didn't... I guess so. I guess maybe they were taking some. They must have been taking stuff. Yeah. Um... To survive, but uh, though Hero had been officially declared dead in December 1959, this event suggested that it was likely he was still alive and search parties were sent out but did not find him. On on February 20th, 1974, Hero met a Japanese man, uh, Norio Suzuki, who was traveling (laughs) around the world looking for Lieutenant... What? Okay. She was traveling around the world looking for Lieutenant Onoda Hero, uh, a panda, and the abominable snowman in that order. And that's a quote. His list is a quote. Wow. Uh, Suzuki found uh, Hero after four days of searching. Uh, Hero described this moment in a 2010 interview. 
This hippie boy, Suzuki, came to the island to listen to the feelings of a Japanese soldier. Suzuki asked me why I would not come out. Hiro and Suzuki became friends, but Hiro still refused to surrender, saying that he was waiting for orders from a superior officer. Suzuki returned to Japan with photographs of himself and Hiro as proof of their encounter, and the Japanese government located Hiro's commanding officer, (laughs) uh, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, uh, who had since become a bookseller. Oh, yeah. He flew to Lubang, where on March 9th, 1974, he finally met with Hiro and fulfilled the promise he made in 1944. And this was the promise that he apparently made. It's quoted as saying, whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Wow. He really... (laughs) He had no plans to do any such thing. Uh wow! All right, um, in a, that must have been awkward. He's like, I look, I know what I said. All right, I I was there, but so what? I let you sit out here for twenty nine years. I mean, I I came back. Look, I came I came back. I thought we thought you were dead. You know, what do, what do you want from me? It's not that long. Like thirty years, the uh, history of the world was that. That's a drop in the bucket, you know. That's nothing. We ain't get, don't worry about it. Wow. You hey, look. You want me to make it up for you? I'm bang my wife. She's forty years younger than me. <laughs> but uh, you, you are eighty-seven. Yeah, I know. But still, I mean, forty <laughs> years younger. That's still pretty. That's still pretty good, right? That's good in relation to me. <laughs> look, I mean, I look. I got a pretty good pension when I retired from the army, and I mean, she. Look, she's four. She may be forty-seven, but she got. She has the tits of a twenty-nine-year-old. <laughs> We got him. Uh, we got him about you know nine years ago. So they're they're still a little droopy, but it's still pretty good, right? Right. He's just like. Also, <laughs> I'm a bookseller. Some of them erotic. Yes, <laughs> I can get you some. Because I'm sure you're in need. You should, you should read this thing. It's called Fifty Shades of Grey. Fucking crazy. <laughs> Wait, this is 1974. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't saying that at all. You should you should read this thing. It's called Tropic of Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crazy. Just look, it's it's on loan though, so you gotta make sure you return it. Can you do so, that for me? <laughs> that's a Seinfeld reference. If anyone doesn't get that, so question. Okay. Um. So wait. So how long again was the North Pond Hermit? Was that twenty six years? Uh, you know what? I forgot to be honest. I think it was twenty six years. I mean, I still think that this guy outdid him because I'm pretty sure this guy had to like steal from local villages and hunt to survive. Yeah. In yeah, I want to say did. I want to say in his obituary it said that he like killed cows and stuff to. And, like, got into gunfights with locals in order to survive. Yeah, because I think, like, the North Pond Hermit was, like, eating ring dings and drinking Pepsi. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what the North Pond Hermit did. Somehow I opened something else up without meaning to. North Pond Hermit. Yeah, I want to say it was, like, 20, 26 years or something. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. But either way, honestly, even if it was the same amount of time, 
This Japanese guy, I think, outdid him. So, internet troubles. Some uh, the computers trying to do some weird fucking shit here, man. Dude, some weird shit here, man. Uh, North Pond Hermit, twenty-seven years. Okay. But again, North Pond Hermit was not as hardcore as this guy was. No, he was also in Maine. Um. <laughs> A hero was thusly properly relieved of duty, and he surrendered. He turned over his sword. His functioning Arasaka Type 99 rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, and several hand grenades. Wow, he still had all that shit? As well as the dagger his mother had given him in 1944 for protection. Wow. Here, honey, take take this. You'll you'll need it. It'll be good. Just, <laughs> the, you know, just, the dagger and the condom she gave him for protection. Just you know, just in case you run into trouble, you can take this dagger. It's probably like that book Hatchet, where you use that dagger for like everything. And he was like, "I'm so glad my mom gave this to me." Yeah, he like he's like picking his teeth with it. He's picking his his he's like slaughtering animals, picking his teeth with it, killing a drifter. He probably almost cut his a, beard. He pro- oh yeah, he probably almost killed Suzuki with it too. Yeah, he probably did. Um, he probably pried uh, pried the bullet out of that other guy's leg with it. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, he was so popular following his return to Japan that some Japanese urged him to run for the diet. Or diets? <laughs> Japan's bi- They were like, somehow he was fat after all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently it's Japan's bicameral legislature. Mm. I guess it's like their House of Representatives or whatever. Yeah. Um, he was. He also released a ghost-written autobiography, No Surrender, My 30-Year War, shortly after it was certain, detailing his life as a guerrilla fighter in a war that was long over. Oh, shit, I want to read that. Um... However, Hero was reportedly unhappy being the subject of so much attention and troubled by what he saw as the withering of traditional Japanese values. Oh, boy. A Philippine documentary interviewed people who lived in Lubang Island during Hero's stay, revealing that Hero had killed several people, which (laughs) he had not mentioned in his autobiography. (laughs) Um, He was given a pardon, though, by President Fernando Marcos. Oh, wow. Um, because the circumstances were taken into consideration. They were like, this guy's the What, fucked. that he was a nut? <laughs> yes, they were like, this guy's crazy. Let's just pardon him and send him on his way. Uh, in April 1975, he followed the example of his elder brother and left Japan for Brazil, where he raised cattle. Um, he was married in 1976. Um, after reading about a Japanese teenager who had murdered his parents in 1980, Hiro returned to Japan in 1984 and established the Hiro... Uh, well, it was called the Onoda Nature School, I guess is actually what it's called. Oh! <laughs> uh, educational camp for young people. Uh, he revisited Lubang Island in 1996, donating $10,000 for the local school. Uh, his, ten thousand American dollars or ten thousand yen? Ten thousand American dollars. Okay, because I was gonna say that's like four hundred bucks. <laughs> his, his wife became the head of the conservative Japan Women's Association in two thousand six. 
He used to spend three months of the year in Brazil. Um, he was awarded the Merit Medal of Santos Dumont by the Brazilian Air Force. Um, and he died of heart failure on January 16th, 2014, due to complications from pneumonia. He didn't get he didn't get pneumonia for 29 years in the Philippines, and now he does. Wow, that's crazy. Um, that's wow. And then the, it says that there was one guy that held out for longer. Now there is some stuff in the 1980s, though. Uh oh. Let's jump ahead to the 1980s. Uh, the Hashi. <laughs> I love listening to you try to pronounce these. The, the, like you would do any better. I I am great at pronouncing Japanese names. <laughs> okay, it's A S A H I. Oh, that's not gonna work. <laughs> say it. What? How, all right, say it again. A S A H I. Asahi. Asahi. The Asahi Shimbun reported in January 1980 uh, that Captain Fumio Nakaharu still held out. <laughs> what? what? Nothing. Go, 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 go. I thought that one was actually pretty fucking good. No, it was probably it was probably right. Or, or as close. close as we're going to get. Uh, still held out at, uh, at Mount Halcon in the Philippines. A search team headed by his former comrade in arms, uh, has, uh, oh, I guess that's his first name. Okay. I, I was looking for like a rank, but I guess it's just his first name. Hisao Miyazawa. Zawa. <laughs> <laughs> what? I never took Japanese. What the fuck do you want from me? I just, it's funny. Miyazawa <laughs> believed it had found his hut. Uh, he had been looking. Uh, oh, that guy had been looking for uh, Nakahara for many years. However, no evidence that he lived as late as 1980 has been documented. Okay, so that's not confirmed. Okay. Um, in 1981, a diet or diet, whatever, however it's said, <laughs> of Japan committee um, mentioned newspaper reports that holdouts were still living in the forest in Vela Lavella, and said searches had been conducted several times over the decades, but said the information was too scant to take any further action. In yeah. 1989, two Japanese soldiers had been... Who? Sorry. In 1989, two Japanese soldiers who had defected to the Malayan Communist Party what is that? Uh, around 1945 laid down their arms uh, along with the party and returned to Japan in 1990. They had become veteran internationalist fighters. So were they oh, not? Oh, yeah. uh, maybe they weren't actually considered... I guess they were considered holdouts because they, yeah, because they had defected. They had defected to Malaysia, so they weren't considered Japanese fighters. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense though, because it doesn't sound like they were like sitting in a cave. 
They well, it sounds like they weren't still fighting for Japan. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the last guy, Nakamura, was discovered by the Indonesian Air Force and surrendered on a search patrol. Uh, let's see. Discover. Uh, hang on. Military service. After the capture of the island, it appears that Nakamura lived with other stranglers on the island until well into the 1950s while going off for extended periods of time on his own. He was just like, guys, I gotta... Look, it's been real, but you just really piss me off sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes a guy just has to be by himself. Um, in 1956, he apparently decided to relinquish his allegiance with the other remaining holdouts on the island and set off to construct a small camp of his own. Okay, so... Was there... There had to have been some kind of a weird conversation between them where he was just like, look, I, I just don't think it's working out. Yeah. Or maybe he just kind of gave up and was just like, listen, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the war is over. But yeah, but at that point, why not just turn yourself in? I don't know. Maybe he didn't know who to turn himself into. Like, why not just find people? Like, why not just walk to find people, though? I don't know. I mean, the other thing is is that you got to imagine a lot of these guys were kind of fucked up from the war. So, I don't know, maybe they just weren't really thinking properly. I mean, that might be the reason why they were in this situation to begin with, holding out for years and years after the whole thing was done, is because these guys were kind of fucked. See, I think it was more like a loyalty to Japan is why they were holding out. True. So, are you insinuating that maybe they did know the war was over, but they just didn't want to give up? No, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they that they they figured that the war probably wasn't over, or they didn't want to think that Japan had surrendered. So they still had this faith that Japan was still out there fighting. And that they yeah. had they had to do their part for their country. I mean, I'm just thinking realistically, if I was in the similar situation, after like a couple years, people telling me, you know, people dropping pamphlets, all this shit going on, and people like, hey, listen, you know, it, it's over. It's over, bud. Well, but yeah, eventually but I'd probably be like, you know what? I'm going to go find people. I'm going to go take a walk. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you would do that. I would do that, too. Yeah. We would do that. But this guy had such an allegiance. These guys all just had such an allegiance to Japan that they didn't want to come up. They didn't want to have the thought that Japan just gave up. Yeah, true. They didn't want to come to terms with it. Exactly. They didn't want it. Well, they didn't want to come to terms with it, but they believed that Japan was still at least trying to fight. And that they would they would try to do their part for Japan. Yeah. At least some at least like Hero definitely did if he was doing all these guerrilla activities and shit. Because he thought he was probably still fighting the war. Like him and the other guys probably assumed that they were still fighting. Yeah. Dude sounds like a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so back to this guy, this is the last guy, Nakamura. Um he set up his own camp consisting of a small hut in a 20 by 30 meter fenced field. 
when asked for re- the reason why he left the others, he claimed that the other holdouts had tried to kill him. Uh, however, this claim was denied by three other stranglers. Uh, stranglers. Stragglers. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe stranglers? I don't know. They, they deny it, though. Uh, from his group who had been discovered in the 1950s. Huh. That's interesting. So I wonder if they were, like, they were discovered in the 1950s and they didn't say anything about it. And then they find this guy in, uh, when they found this guy in 1974? Yeah. 1974, they find him and then they turn back to these guys that were found in the 50s and they're like, hey, did you, uh, you try to, you try to kill this guy? No, I, no, I didn't do that at all. I, no. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We were just we're just three stranglers. I mean, stragglers that just decided to come home in the fifties. Yeah. Um, Nakamura's t- hut was uh, discovered accidentally by a pilot in mid nineteen seventy four. In November nineteen seventy four, the Japanese embassy to Indonesia uh, requested the assistance of the Indonesian government in organizing a search mission, which was conducted by the Indonesian Air Force and led to his arrest by Indonesian soldiers on December 18th, 1974. Uh, news of his discovery reached Japan on December 27th, 1974, which is crazy. That took nine days to get to him. It would take like nine hours today. Maybe. I think nine minutes. <laughs> well, you okay? You figure that they that they get him once they find him and get him. They got to bring him down from wherever he is. They got to bring him in. They got to get him to. They got to get him to uh, identify himself. Well, yeah, they got to get him to whatever base or whatever in Indonesia, and they got to get him checked out and and take note of like his condition, basically. Yeah, true. That's true. But then I feel like they would be like, "Look, here's we got him. We 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 got him." And then that w- I imagine that that would take nine hours. Well, like I mean, once they get him and they bring him back, and they're just like, "Okay, this is his medical condition." They would announce it, and everybody would know. You're right. Once once they are just like, "We got this Japanese guy," they'd be like, nine minutes. All of Japan would know. <laughs> you would think. Um, although I wonder the way they say it, I wonder if it's like they called the government on December 27th because they were trying to get information out of him for nine days. That's possible. Maybe just the Japanese government just didn't release any info. Yeah. Makes Uh, sense. Um, let's see. He, I, I guess he was born in Taiwan. Um, and then he went back straight to Taiwan, bypassing Japan and died, uh, Died there of lung cancer five years later. Wow. That's nuts. He was just ripping butts in a, in a cave in, or a hut in Indonesia. Man. That's crazy. These guys, that's something. Uh, let's see. Born in Taiwan, he's legally stateless. I guess he wasn't as uh as well received in uh in Japan. In Japan as as the other ones were cuz he was born in Taiwan. Oh. And huh. he was still ranked as a private. 
Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Plus, it says he kind of split off from his his guys, right? Yeah, but I Which... don't. They don't talk so much about that in this little paragraph. I'm just giving it here. But it seems like because he because he was an he wasn't an officer and he was born in Taiwan. They're like, eh, I mean, it's not as good of a story. Yeah, I guess not. Um, let's see. He was as a as a private of a colonial unit. Nakamura was not entitled to pensions after a 1953 change in the law on pensions and thus received only a minimal sum of 68,000 yen or $227.59 at the time, uh, now $1,100 in 2014. Ooh. This raised a considerable outcry in the press, motivating the government to donate over $100,000, similar to what had been given to Hiro, which in turn generated questions by earlier Taiwanese holdouts and led to considerable public discussion on the differences in treatment of Japanese and Taiwanese holdouts by the government. Wow. All right, so let's let's do our little recap here, though. Things that these guys all missed between 1945 and, we'll say, 1974. TV? Um, They they might have known about it going into the war, though. Because they they knew about movies. Like, they knew about movies and, and moving pictures, but they didn't have a concept of TV, right? Because when Marty goes back to 1955, like, they just have a, have a TV. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure TV was was um, first shown to the world in, like, the 19... Was it the 1933 World's Fair? Was it? I'm pretty sure. It was in the 30s when when TV was invented. Now, obviously... No one had them except for the super rich for a long time. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, had anyone gone to movies and stuff, they might have seen – because, you know, they did like the news footage and stuff during movies. Yeah. And I mean obviously I don't know exactly what they did in Japan in the 30s, but I'm I'm just imagining that they may have known about it. You know, I'm pretty sure TV was invented in – or maybe it was the 40s, uh, 1940. Okay, you know what? In 1927, Philo Farnsworth made the world's first working television system with electronic scanning of both the pickup and display devices, which he first demonstrated to the press on September 1st, 1928. Okay, okay so they had an idea of it, but they certainly missed out on the honeymooners. Ex- yes, they certainly did. So what uh, – so there was no television in like 1945, right? There was no TV shows. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so what was, like a, what was like a movie in like 1945? Let's say they – let's say – what was the last movie they might have heard of? Um, let's see. 45 for movies or, or that era. Um, let's see. <laughs> or let's go, you know, let's go with 1944. Because the one guy, he 1944, he uh, he went in, um, and his mom gave him 
where he might not have gone in, but his mom gave him a knife. So he probably is familiar with movies from 1944. So let's say, uh, oh, he would have seen Meet Me in St. Louis, where he would have heard uh, a version of uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Oh, yeah. Uh, Actually, I, I got a whole list here of movies, big movies from the 40s. Okay. All right. So 42, maybe Casablanca. Okay. He probably had heard of that. 41, Citizen Kane. Okay. Maybe heard of that. 42, I feel like Casablanca would have heard about. Mm, yeah, probably. Uh, 1940 was The Great Dictator. Okay, probably heard about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's say 44, probably not. 1940, you had a duo of uh, Disney movies, Fantasia and Pinocchio. Okay. Um, there was Meet Me in St. Louis. Actually, some more Disney. Um, Dumbo. Was that, was that Disney? Yeah, I think so. Dumbo's dizzy. Oh, wait, would he have heard? He would have maybe heard about Wizard of Oz, right? You would think so, yeah. All right, because that, that was 40? Or was that... Uh, uh, no, that was, 30, that was 39. 39, right, right, right. All right, so he goes into that. And then let's jump ahead to... what? When did he come out? 1974, would we say? Yeah. So 1974. Let's look at 1974 in review. Um, wait, there's one thing I want to see if, if it was, I want to say it was 70, somewhere around there. Let's see. Uh, well, no, but it would have been close. Like he comes out and then two years later, three's company is on TV. <laughs> really probably would have blown his mind. He was just like, what? Wait, what the fuck is this? Wait, wait, wait. That wait, he what just, I just you know what just put me back in the jungle. Just put me just put me back. It's like I have no interest in this. He's like so does the guy know that he's straight even <laughs> though he just goes along with the gayness? <laughs> Happy Days started in 1974. So he he caught up on the fifties by watching Happy Days. And he's like, Oh, this Fonzer is cool dude. He's so cool. Um it's see though, when he came out at seventy four, some some big movies probably kinda blew his mind. Uh Towering Inferno. Oh yeah, either definitely. Blazing Saddles. Oh, that would have definitely blown his mind. Godfather Part Two. <laughs> So he was behind. <laughs> he was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> He's like, I think I'm sensing I missed something. Um, Longest Yard. Yeah. Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was Chainsaw like, oh, that's Massacre. racist. What? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He probably like, what the fuck is this? He's like, I leave you guys for 30 fucking years. This is what you do? Uh, Chinatown, uh, Death Wish, Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Alice doesn't live here anymore. One of your favorites. Oh yeah. Why do you think so? So what? What? I can't. I just can't imagine like him coming out of that and being like, "What the fuck is going on?" How do you? How do you re? Uh, enter society. Like, from what I understand, soldiers have a hard time re-entering society as it is. I mean, we're talking about like four years, two tours. And it's tough re-entering society. Yeah. How about when you go away from 30 years and start, like, carrying out guerrilla warfare by yourself for a long period of time, thinking that a war is still going on that's been over forever? How do you re-enter society after that? I I don't really think you do. Well, maybe that's why he moved to Brazil and just became yeah. like a cattle farmer. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, "Fuck this shit." Like, he's probably like, "I can't be around people. How do I associate with people?" I mean, we are we are looking at it from a very American perspective, but by the seventies, mm. Japanese culture had changed a ton too. Right. Because by that <laughs> point, they went from like fucking hating us to. Being way more accepting of her culture. Yeah, and I I also think that we could be we could be looking at a far more different culture than ours too. Like I don't think like obviously it's not the same. Obviously, American and Japanese culture are not the same thing. But I think there are there are cultures more different than that. Especially like we. Our cultures do appreciate some of the same things. Well, here's the thing, though. I'm thinking, I'm, uh, I'm thinking back to Japanese culture of then. And, oh, of, of World War Two. Yeah, like when he oh, went that in. That was very different. Yeah, when he went in, he goes from that to the Japanese culture of 1974, which is way more accepting and, like you said, I guess more appreciative of the same some of the same things that we are. Yeah, probably significantly Americanized, especially from where it was. Yeah. And then he just... He was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. How does he... How does he uh, rationalize that with what he believes? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that you do. Like, I, I just... It's probably not possible. Okay, now somebody that worldwide has probably appreciated that he completely missed out on, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he missed his whole life, basically. No, he did miss his whole life. He missed his entire <laughs> life. I'm pretty sure he missed all of the Beatles, basically. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he might have caught a little bit of solo stuff. I, well, yeah, he probably caught their solo stuff, and he was like, "Hey, I uh, I discovered this great new band. It's uh, this great new guy. He's uh, George Harrison. You guys ever heard of him?" And they're just like, "The Beatle? Yeah, no, we know about him. The, I'm sorry, the Beatle? No, he's a man. He's a he's a, he's a guy. Oh, hero. He doesn't know about that. Like he's the character in like uh." 
Like every every stupid TV show where they're like, oh, we got like this fish out of water character that doesn't quite understand the culture and doesn't quite understand what's going on. Like, although that I would appreciate way more if they were just like, oh, here's the character from like, you know, this foreigner in an American setting who doesn't Amer- understand American idioms or something like that. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're like, okay, this is a guy that was in World War II, hit out. For thirty years, so we're we're just you know putting them back in so you, we can catch up. I'd be like, all right, that's kind of a cool angle. I appreciate this thing a little bit more. So you think that that's a better idea than something like Kate and Leopold or something, where they take the guy from the seventeen hundreds and put him in a romantic comedy in the nineties? No, I think it's a better <laughs> idea. I, here's the thing: I think it's a better idea than like. Um, Like on on Star Trek when they had Data not understand everything. Oh, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, if I could be a fly on that wall. And he'd be like, why would you want to be a fly on that wall? And you're just like, fuck you, Data. Just, it's an expression. And like, it's kind of funny the first time he does it. And you're like, ah, he doesn't understand anything. Because he's a robot and he doesn't understand like human things. But then after a while, you're just like, all right, I get it. Like... And then he doesn't say another funny thing until he has sex with that woman and says how he is fully functioning. That's like the second episode, though. That's is it really the second episode? We talked about it before. Yeah, it's like I want to say it's one of the first like five episodes. That Damn. <laughs> uh, no, but they're like, or they'll be like, "Data, hop to it," and then he starts hopping, and they're like, "What? Why did you do that?" And he's like, <laughs> "He's like, well, you said you hop to it, Captain," and you're just like, "Fucking just." We get it. He doesn't understand like idioms and shit like that. It's it's kind of funny. But like this, there's a little bit better of an idea where he's just like they're just like, "Hey man, the Beatles." He's just like, "I don't I don't understand." Like they're like, "Where were you?" Like when Beatles did like their fel- farewell concert and he was like, "Um, I was strangling a villager and taking his rice." You know what it's kind of like it's probably uh, something that would perfectly sum up like a day in his life would be in the first Austin Powers when he tries <laughs> to play the CD with the record player. Oh, yes. Yes, that would be it. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of – That would be perfect. Kind of knows, but it's kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't get this. Yeah. Um. I'd I'd be good with it. like yeah you know what let's make a show about this guy let's make a TV show about this guy all right let's just let's just make a TV show about this guy or we'll just we'll switch it we'll Americanize it we'll make an American that was stuck in like Vietnam or something oh I was gonna say we should call it Tokyo Five O <laughs> but I guess not <laughs> wait why would we call it Tokyo Five O um I don't know because it rhymed. <laughs> All right, so Tokyo Five O. He was in World War Two. He's now super old. Maybe uh, he, maybe he meets. No, no, no. I know. Okay. He shows up back in in Tokyo. He meets his grandson, who's a cop. Wait, and, wait, wait, wait. And he and he lives with him. Okay, all right. I'm with you on this. One. Right, right. And his and his grandson. Is trying to like he takes him out and like 
they go and like cruising for chicks and stuff and and like all this stuff like he's trying to reassimilate him into real life but it's called Tokyo 50 cuz the kid's a cop and uh you know and he's just he's teaching about the about the world okay and like before he was in the army like he was going to be a cop and then he joined the army so like right. he he the thing is like they occasionally will solve the occasional crime or like he'll provide a clue because the son's all like oh like let's CSI this shit we have all this technology right and, but then like, the old man Columbo's it yeah and he's just like it was that guy yeah he's like old school detective work yes and in the first episode like the son's all just like okay because the first one is like a two-parter you gotta do a two-parter for the first yeah one, yeah definitely. there's a lot to sh- a lot of shit to set up um because he finds them after so there's a okay there's a murder in like a vi- in like a smaller village or whatever that doesn't have a cop and they're just like look like we need you to go out to this village and like solve this solve this murder just deal with it and please the people and like You'll be gone two, three days, and then you know you can come back to the city and and take care of stuff. And the kid doesn't really want to do it, so he goes out and finds in the jungle, like by this village, it's just old white guy just hanging out there. And then he's like, "You kill this guy?" And he's like, "Yeah, I gotta stop the war." And then like he brings him in, and they do testing, and they're just like, "Like we did DNA tests on this guy," and um. Like, we think he's your dad or, like, your grandfather. Grandfather, yeah. Your grandfather, yeah. We think he's your grandfather because, like, there's enough of a match. And he's just like, what the fuck? So then, like, they pardon him because they're just like, well, obviously, like, because of the circumstances, we didn't know when we pardoned that hero guy. But then there's another murder. And immediately, the grandfather's just like, it was it was that guy. And the guy's like, bullshit. The son's just like, bullshit. Or the grandson, I should say. It's like, well, fuck that. Like, you're wrong. Like, there's no evidence. We'll find the evidence. And then, like, nothing happens. And then finally, like, they turn around and they're just like, they they find, like, one little thing and they start questioning him. And he's like, all right, I did it. And then yeah. he's like, how, how did you know? And he's like, well, I mean, it was obvious. It was Ancient a- Chinese secret. <laughs> And they're just like, but this show takes place in Japan. <laughs> he's and like, he's yeah, like, no, we we just did that for the American audience. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, but we no, or they change it to ap- ancient Japanese secret. And yeah, just like that's not that's not the very assimilated. Yeah, but he's like looking at a phone, and he's just like, what is this? <laughs> so he's trying to assimilate his stuff, and like he's in Tokyo, just like freaking out. I think it's a brilliant idea. So Tokyo Tokyo Five O and it's just the the grandfather and the grandson. And they're kinda they're kinda cop buddies. Kinda. But the, the, the grandfather's like unofficial. So like the grandson'll go like to, to work and he'll get like a case of something and then he'll go find the grandfather who's like drinking tea or something at some local place. Wait, why would he, he be drinking tea? Because it's Japan. Yeah, no, he's drinking booze though. He's drinking Japanese whiskey, is what he's doing. I'm, yeah, but it's in the morning. <laughs> the guy was missing <laughs> for sixty-nine years. <laughs> could you just could you just follow me? <laughs> and All then right, he oh brings him God. the case, and he helps him solve the cases. So it's it's a real unofficial capacity. 
that he's working. Yo, yeah, yeah. And yes, yeah. all right, fine. Sometimes he's drinking sake. He's maybe, he's, maybe even most of the time. He's just in bathhouses and shit. I really can't wait till they run out of like the common stuff to talk to him about, and they're just like, "Hey, we." Uh, the the grandfather's just like, "Hey, what's that?" Uh, yeah, we have vending machines that um, dish out panties that have been worn by uh by women. And he's like, "Why? Why would you do that?" <laughs> Uh, it's like, well, I've already taught you about the internet, so yeah. cell phones, all this shit. We we had to we had to move on. Like <laughs> we're on season five. You're assimilated back We've, into society. Yeah. Instead of saying jump the shark, they're just like panty machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new way of saying the show has gone too far. Yeah. Panty machine. Yeah. Found found the panty machine or uh, watch Tentai. <laughs> She's like, I was on the uh, I was on that there internet that you were telling me about, and uh, whoa, guy. <laughs> I uh, I was I was clicking on one of those uh, what do you call them? bookmarks, and uh, I, what kind of sites do you go to? There was this there was this cartoon. Uh, before I went into the war, you know, I, cartoons were fine. There was, was a guy driving a steamboat, a little mouse. That's fine. Now it's uh, this girl. She was, she was all sweaty and had big, big gizangas. <laughs> Wearing a schoolgirl outfit. And then this tentacle came out of nowhere, went up a snatch. <laughs> what the fuck do you do with your time? I think it'd be great. Oh, man. And then you have to do, like, the reunion. Where, like, you find, like, obviously the the grandmother's dead. Mm-hmm. We got to kill her off. Yeah, yeah. Um, She probably died childbirth. Um, uh, But we find, like, his son, um, who, like, moved back to America. Like, we got to reconnect those two. But he was also a cop or something. So he goes over there and conveniently, like, his son was a cop in, like, New York or something. And, like, even though he's retired, like, there's one case that still haunts him. So, like, they're discussing it, and then they solve that one. Of course. This is, this is, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think so. Tokyo Five O. Shit! Why are we not in entertainment industry? Well, officially. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, why are we not, why can we not get a contract right now? Tokyo Five O. I mean, honestly, it's better than a lot of the crap out there. Here's the thing, though. I don't think we can make it World War II. Or we have to make it a like a period series and set it back to like the 70s or 80s. We might be able to get away with the 80s. 80s? I mean, people love the 80s. I mean, we could probably get away with that. Because here's the thing. World War II ended 69 years ago. Yeah. So even if you assume... That he lied about his age to get into World War II, and he was 16 at the time, which completely blows the the cop part of it, but let's just say so. He would be 85 years old. Yeah, that'd be pretty old. But if he was just joining the force and say he was 18, and we set it in 1980, 
then I mean, even if we say, you know, even if we say that he was like in his 20s, say we'll say 22, he'd only be 57. So I think that's the, I think we got to set it in the 80s. Maybe the 90s. Could we get away with the 90s? I think so. Because that would be 45 years, right? That would be 45 years. So even if we say he's 22, then he's 67. Then he could, in theory, have a grandkid. I think that I think that would work. All right, so we find him in the 90s then. Yep. Oh, uh, the 90s is 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 uh unmined territory too. It's just about to become like the it's about to become the 80s. Yeah. In like the nostalgia way. I think it would work, sir. So they got to talk about like Saved by the Bell and shit. <laughs> What's the Saved by the Bell episode where um where she gets addicted to uh to pain pills? Or to, not to pain pills, to caffeine pills. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Can we do like a weird crossover where somehow he like watches that episode and he's just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> that was 1990. Get the fuck out of here. That was 1990. Holy shit. That yeah, that was 1990. Jesse turns to caffeine pills to keep up with her studies, and her new singing group, Hot Sunday. Sounds awesome. Oh my god. So oh we can put that on in the background. Like a, one of the scenes when he's like reassimilating. Reassimilating. Um reassimilating to culture. He's just like in there and the TV's on and Jesse's just going, I'm so excited. I'm so scared. I think I think it'd work. I'd I'd watch the shit out of that show. <laughs> oh man. Alright. If anybody's interested, let us know. Idea copyright, Keith and Greg. And don't steal it. That's why I copyrighted it. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I just said copyright. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we have a recording of it, and we just pitched the whole show, so it's it's there, and we have a recording of it. That's true. So if anybody listens to this and then make it a show, we can totally sue the shit out of them. Yeah, be like you stole our our idea, and they'll be like, "Well, I mean, did I really?" Yes, you. These ideas—they're all out there. They're all in the air. I don't think they are. I think this is this is ours. <laughs> Uh, would it be great if somebody was just like, "Look, you guys have some crazy ideas, but we want to make all of them," and then we just get to we just get to be producers, which means we don't have to do anything. No, we just sit there and collect checks, and we occasionally make a cameo and whatever it is. Oh, I would definitely want to be a in a in a Tokyo Five O. Um, I would want to be. Do like who's that? Who's that white guy in the background snapping all those pictures? Real role reversal. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right. Well, let's let's, let's wrap that up because that was a long one. All right. Um, thank you for listening to a but you're wrong. I'm Keith Budella. I'm Greg Dinacola. Uh, remember, folks, no regrets. And if you've been in the jungle for 30 years, get a haircut.